going to spend a little bit of time talking about the prophetic. Is everybody feeling kind of spiritually bloated yet? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You're like so full. You're like, I don't think there's any more room. Yeah, I, I know that one. I know that one. But uh, after, you know, tonight, we'll have plenty of time to digest everything. Isn't it great that, like, nowadays, you can, like, get the talks so easily? You know, there's not this pressure that's like, I got to get it all now, or, you know, it's, oh, we'll send you the podcast or whatever. It's great. <clears throat> well, in this workshop, we're going to spend the next uh, 60 minutes or so. This is supposed to be an hour, right? Hour workshop, right? Okay, good. I was at a different time yesterday, so just, <laughs> this is a three-hour workshop, right? <clears throat> no, we're going to spend the next 60 minutes or so exploring the prophetic. And the prophetic is just so uh, significant, so important, um, such a key element of church life and of church culture, and it's such a significant ministry um, that we believe, you know, in the vineyard that we can all learn to function in, we can all uh, participate in. It's something that, in my experience, a lot of people are hungry for, and most people don't feel particularly satisfied at their capability. Like, is there anybody who doesn't want to get better at hearing God's voice, right? <laughs> like, we all, we all want to get better at hearing God's voice. And so it's an important thing for us, not only us to grow and into it, uh, but to also become proficient at equipping others in how to hear God's voice. And so in this workshop, we're going to kind of try and hit both of those things. We're going to spend some time talking about how do we learn how to hear God, practicing hearing God, but also in a way where my thought is you guys are here because you're leaders. And so what I want to do is give you guys tools so that you can not only grow and develop yourself, but you can take some of these tools to your own context and help grow and develop the people in your local church community. Um, I want to start just by sharing kind of the, the story of my introduction to the prophetic. You know, when I... Um, I think I had mentioned at some point, I, I don't recall exactly, um, I grew up in the church, but it was a, a version of the church that was uh, very not supernaturally oriented. Uh, I grew up Baptist. Uh, in fact, does the name John Piper mean anything over here? Do you guys recognize that name? Some of you guys, right? Yeah. So I was in the denomination that John Piper was in. Um, and so if that doesn't mean something to you, um, think uh, like heavy emphasis on the scriptures uh, heavy emphasis on theology, uh, like very, very little emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And so I grew up loving Jesus, loving God, not getting the Holy Spirit at all. And so my journey into all of this supernatural stuff was, uh, shall I say, a little bit rocky along the way. I was, I was first very opposed. God kind of had to shake me and wake me up, and eventually he did. And when that happened... I, uh, I began to feel this stirring inside that was like, I want to learn how to hear God's voice and share with others. And it was one of the first gifts that I really kind of started to lean into and, and really ask the Lord uh, for. And so um, once I had kind of woken up to the Holy Spirit, I really started just this almost like, it was almost like a day and night prayer. I was just like, God, like, I want to hear your voice. I want to talk to other people. Like, I don't know how to do this. God, would you, 
would you open this up to me, open this up to me? And so I was, I was just praying, I was praying, I was praying for it. And, um, you know, these, you know, it's, it's, it's always kind of interesting to be on a journey with God, right? Like, you're leaning into something, you never really know when it's going to happen. Uh, when it is happening, you're not sure that that's what is happening. You know, it's, it's just it's a kind of confusing thing that you're kind of muddling your way through. And I remember, after a process of, of praying, you know, these prayers for a while, there was one uh, Sunday at the conclusion of the service where as we were wrapping up, I just kind of had this weird sense that like, oh, I think something is happening, you know? And we were sitting um, in um, kind of one of the back rows in the auditorium, and there was a, uh, a gentleman uh, that I knew who was at the end of the, end of the row. He always came to church by himself. Uh, he was like kind of a young adult. I knew him not super well, but a little bit. And we're sitting there, and I'm like, oh, I think something's happening. And of course, because I've been praying about this, I'm like, this is that moment. I'm going to hear God. This is going to be great. So I'm like, I'm like, okay, God, like, I'm ready. Give it to me, you know? And I'm sitting there, and I just kind of like have this, this, this sense. There wasn't like any audible voice. I didn't see anything. I actually very rarely see anything. For those of you who aren't seers, may that be liberating to you. Um, and I'm sitting there, and I just kind of have this like hunch feeling thing that sort of bubbles up. And, and I get the sense that my friend is in a situation like Job in the Bible. And that he's in this really hard place and his friends are like kind of trying to encourage him, but it's not being encouraging if anything else is kind of being the opposite. So <laughs> I'm sitting there, you know, I've been crying out, Lord, speak to me. And this sense comes, and I'm like, that's like horrible. Like, what am I supposed to go tell this guy? Right? Like, like this is so awkward. Like, I don't know what to do with this. So, but because I've been praying for it, because I've been so hungry for it, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I gotta at least try. You know, I gotta try. If this is it, I gotta try. So I go over to my friend uh, when the service dismisses, and I said, hey, look, I know like this is weird. Uh, I've really been asking to, to hear God. I think I might have something to share for you. Uh, you know, do you mind if I share my sense? And he kind of like steps back a little bit. He's a, he's a little bit off put, and, but he's kind of like, yeah, sure, I guess, okay. And, and I share the sense with him. I'm like, you know, I just get the sense that like you're like in this place like Job, and it's really hard, and your friends are trying to be good friends, but they're actually really being bad friends. And blah, blah, blah. I kind of like lay it out, you know? And as I'm laying it out, I, like I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, this is a terrible word. Like, this is... Why am I, why did I do this, you know? And I get it all out, and I say, does that mean anything to you? And he just looks at me, like, just completely flat affect, you know? And he's just like, nope. <laughs> and I'm devastated. I'm devastated. Like, that was it. That was the end. He's like, nope. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> you know, nurse my wounds as I limp away. And, and, and I was crushed, and I'm like, God, are you serious? Like, I've been praying for this. I thought this was a thing. That, what is happening? Oh, you know. And I, and I kind of worked through all my emotions and all of that, and, um, you know, I kind of just keep trying to press forward and whatever. Well, six months later, I'm on our ministry team up front at church. So the way we do it is we always have the ministry team kind of like line up in front of the stage, and... 
And I'm on the ministry team. I'm not on staff. I'm not a pastor. I'm a graduate student at this point, okay? I'm not, I'm not a ministry guy. But I'm, I'm, on, uh, I'm on the ministry team, and my friend comes up to me, and he's got tears streaming down his face. Now, this guy is not a guy who cries, you know? Like, you know how there's some people that are just hard? You know, like, I think there's probably emotion in there somewhere, but I'm not sure if he even knows it, you know? And so he comes up, and he's crying. And he's like, you know, he comes up, like, right in front of me. So I'm like, okay, he knows, he wants me to pray for him. I'm like, this is really weird. I don't know what's happening here. So I say, what's going on, man? How can I pray for you? And he says, he says, hey, you remember that word that you gave about, like, Job, like, six months ago, you know? And, you know, I'm inside, I'm thinking, like, I'm never going to forget giving that word, of course, <laughs> you know? But I'm, I'm just kind of like, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, vaguely, you know, whatever. <laughs> and he says, well, you see, here's the thing. These last months have been the hardest months of my life. He said, you know what? I know I wouldn't be in this church. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't even be following Jesus, except for that word that you gave me. And I was just like, oh. <laughs> and in that moment, I realized that, you know, the prophetic is always risky and often painful, but it's incredibly powerful. And all said and done, like, I felt kind of dumb, and I nursed my wounds for a week. But his life changed. His life changed. Jesus used him, or Jesus used that to, to work in his life in a way that only that could do. It was beautiful, it was amazing. I think the prophetic has great power if we're willing to take the risk to tap into it. But there's no risk-free way to do this stuff. There's not. And that's why you know this identity stuff that we've been talking about is so critical, it's so important. Because when we can get detached from the insecurity stuff, we can be like, you know what, I'm just gonna go for it. If I look really stupid, I'm looking really stupid for Jesus, and that's okay. We can take the risks because, you know, <clears throat> what I found is that there are so many times where God is doing what you have no idea, no idea. It's incredibly powerful. One more quick story on that just to illustrate that, and then, and then we'll keep moving. I don't want to spend all our time stories, but a couple of years after that, I was really pressing into learning how to pray for people on the streets. And so I, was, I had gotten comfortable, I had gotten competent, prophesying, craving, like all of that within a church context. But then I got really convicted, and I was like, hold on, if this only works inside the church, it's not real. Like, this has got to work out there. So I was pressing in for this stuff. And it was painful, and it was awkward, and it was uncomfortable. Like, I'm not really very evangelistic. Like, it's not my, like, wiring. And so when I try, it's, like, awkward usually. And then they're feeling my awkwardness, and it's awkward for them, like, even more than it would be. And by the end of it, it's just like this awful thing where we're all like, let's just end this conversation, right? Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> you know, we won't talk about this. So it, it was awkward, and it was painful. So, like, that's me, and I'm trying to, like, go up to people and be like, hey, can I pray for you? And I'm getting all those responses that we, like, in our mind, we're like, this is the reason why I don't want to start praying for people. You know, the person was like, what are you, some kind of crazy Christian? No. You know, like, I get that stuff. It was awful. It was awful. There was eventually a major breakthrough, and it changed. So that's not the end of the story. But 
I was praying, and I remember one day I'm in the bank, and I'm praying, and I'm like, God, I want to learn to pray for people. Help me, help me, help me. And so I look over off to the side, and there's like the bank manager sitting in her office. And I look at her, and when I look at her, this thought, diabetes, flies through my head. And I'm like, oh, I think that was a word of knowledge. I recognize them from church, but it might have just happened here. So I'm like, okay, God, if this is really you, then give me some more. And, and I feel like God says, um, it's in her family. And there's one other detail too, which I can't remember right now. Um, there are two extra details that came. I'm like, oh, this is amazing, okay. You know, so I'm kind of getting them in place and I'm waiting for her to finish up because she's on the phone call. So she finishes up her phone call and I go into her office and I said, hey, look, I know this is really weird, um, but do you or does anyone in your family happen to have diabetes? And she looks at me and she goes, no, that's a weird question. Why? <laughs> and and in, in, in like two seconds, what has happened is like the, what I thought was an encounter has flipped around and become that awful thing where you tried to hear God, you missed it, and they ask why, right? You know what I'm talking about? And that's always the moment where you're like, oh no, how do I try and do this? And I was not prepared. Nowadays, okay, here's the answer to that question. Okay, here, I'll give you the answer that I figured out now. Here's what you say. You just say this. Oh, it was, it was just a hunch. Because the truth is, if you thought you heard God and you didn't, it was just a hunch. Like, that's actually totally true. And so you can be like, oh, it's just a hunch. And what happens is I, 99 times 100 person go, oh, okay, cool. You know, and you just move right on. Like, it's not weird. <laughs> it totally works. Like, I used to just go around, like, trying random words of knowledge just to see how well that kind of thing would work. But, so I didn't know this at the time. So she's like, why? And I'm like, uh, 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 and I mumble something about a Christian and God and whatever. Like, I'm not even sure it was complete sentences because I was, like, so confused. And, and she looks at me and she goes, oh, well, actually, you know, come to think of it, my sister has diabetes, my mom has diabetes, and I just came down with these three symptoms of diabetes in the last two months. And I looked at her, I didn't say this, but I looked at her and I thought, you liar! <laughs> I mean, diabetes in your family, I mean, like, we're talking, I'm nailing details. And she's like, she's like, no, why? You never know what God's going to do with the prophetic. Anyway, it turned out to be an amazing encounter. We prayed for it. It was cool. It was really good. And we still talk every time I go to the bank. It's awesome. But <clears throat> we never know what God's doing with the prophetic. And ultimately, when it comes to prophetic, it's not our job to know. It's our job to stand in the gap. It's our job to do our best to deliver and to trust that God really can do what he wants to do with it. So with that... <clears throat> How do we learn how to hear God? How do we learn how this whole thing works? Once again, you guys kind of are probably getting the way that I like to do things. I like to kind of like establish a paradigm and then work our way to our practices. So let's, let's, put a, let's put out the ground rules, so to speak, of hearing God. Here's one of the first ones. John 10, uh, verse 1 through 4. You can flip there if you want, but I'll just read it quickly. This is Jesus. He's teaching and this is a passage you probably recognize. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. 
But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before him, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Jesus is teaching here, he's using a parable, right? And he actually says, like, I'm the shepherd, and I'm the gate, and I'm, it's sort of a confusing parable. He puts himself in, like, a bunch of places. So it's hard to track. But at the end of the day, we know that, like, somewhere in here, we're the sheep, and somehow we're following the shepherd who's Jesus, right? Or the father, or something. And he specifically says this, guys, the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So the starting point when it comes to the ministry of the prophetic is this. If you're a sheep, you can know his voice. It's not fundamentally about prophetic gifting. I'm not saying that doesn't exist. It does, and it's cool. It's, it's neat. It's great if you've got it. But if you don't have it, you're still a sheep. Right? Is anybody in here not a sheep? Is anybody not following Jesus? We can fix that real quick. <laughs> right? Okay. I'm not seeing any hands, so we're all sheep. And that means, according to Jesus, we have permission to hear his voice. So <clears throat> learning to, there's a level at least of the prophetic that we all can operate in without needing an impartation, without needing a gift to drop upon us from heaven or anything like that. We have access to something because we're a sheep, so to speak. So each one of us and everyone in your churches who's at least following Jesus has the capability to hear God's voice. What they may not have is the ability to recognize God's voice for what it is. Here's the tricky thing about hearing God. When you're trying to hear God, you're trying to discern the voice of someone whom you cannot see. Now, if you think about the way our auditory and visual senses partner together, you usually use them in tandem. So if some random person over here stood up and yelled my name, I wouldn't be able to identify that person unless I turned and looked. But if I'm looking over here and my wife stood up and yelled my name, I would know exactly who was talking to me because there was a level of familiarity that I had developed with her voice specifically. So when there's a voice I recognize, I don't need to be able to see it. But for most of you who I don't know pretty well, I'm gonna need to be able to use my eyes along with my ears to know who the messenger is and what they're saying. The tricky part is we're virtually trying to do this with a God who we can't turn around and look at. So we hear a voice, that comes flying through our head, our mind, our thoughts, our feelings, or whatever, and we go, I don't know if that's God or not. And it gets really confusing. Well, what we're gonna talk about is how can you kind of turn and look and see? That'll be one of the things we go into. But before we go into that, <laughs> I wanna suggest to you that most of the people that we know that look like they know how to hear God, what they've really done is they've turned and they've looked enough times that they now go, oh, I know the sound of that voice. I don't need to turn and look anymore. It now sounds familiar. Most 
of the sheep can come to that point. They hear his voice, they just don't recognize it's him yet. And what I want to talk about today is how do we learn to begin to recognize it's him? How can we begin to turn and look and identify? I don't know why, but you're like my example there in the maroon shirt. So, boom, pound it. <clears throat> how can we learn to do that? If we can do that, we can learn to come to the point where we go, ah, that's God, I know it, we're good to go. You guys know what I'm talking about? Have you seen people who can do that? You've seen what that looks like in practice? Yes, no, some? I know we're all tired, hang in there. Conference last day, it's like 5 p.m., we'd all rather be at dinner, yeah, I know. Okay, so here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna give you guys five key principles for how to learn how to hear God's voice. And then we're gonna do it. <clears throat> First principle that's important. Number one, you have to start with the right picture of what the experience of hearing God is like. For whatever reason, you know, we come into faith and we usually get some picture somewhere of what this is what it would be like to hear God. And what I've found is that more often than not, that picture is rather grossly inaccurate and the picture itself is half the problem. When I was learning to hear God, I somehow just assumed, I don't know where it came from, too much Hollywood or something, I don't know, maybe reading the Old Testament stories, but I somehow assumed that if I was gonna hear God, I'd be standing here and there would be this voice that would come from behind the screen. And none of you would hear it, but what I would hear would be like, Putty, it's me, God. Tell that person, you know, like, so there'd be this booming voice that would come and I'd be like, oh, it's the voice of the Lord, you know, the word of the Lord says or whatever. So there, there's this picture that I have and a big part of my journey actually involved discarding an inaccurate picture and allowing the Lord to give me his picture. It's not, in, it's not actually in, the problem isn't the voice. The problem is that I think I should hear a voice. And that's what's wrong. And so the first thing we need to do is we need to start with the right picture. What is it like to hear God? In John 14 and 16, Jesus says a, a couple of things here. John 14, uh, verse 16 and 17. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. All right? He continues a little bit later in chapter 14. It's kind of that same discourse. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So just before Jesus goes to the cross, he says, guys, here's the deal. I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit. And from here on out, the Holy Spirit's gonna be the one 
who takes my stuff and gives it to you. So like he's going to be the one who's kind of transacting the account. He's going to take the stuff that God says, he's going to take the stuff that belongs to me, and he's going to be the one who gives it to you. And when he comes, he has been with you, but when he comes, he's going to be in you. Here's what all of that means when it comes to boiling down to how do we learn to hear God's voice. If you're looking for a voice from outside of you, you're looking in the wrong place. God worked really hard to get inside of you. He's not going to step back outside to start talking. What he's going to do is he's going to take this nice, comfy home that he made in here. Parenthetically, God had a house before the cross. He made a home in us. He's comfortable in his home. When he speaks, he speaks from inside of us, not from outside of us. That means the process of learning to hear God's voice is actually a process of learning to pay attention to our own humanity. Let me, let me give an analogy. You guys can probably already tell I'm a fan of those. We've got three kids, my wife and I, eight, six, and three. We are missing them, but we will see them soon enough. When we were having our eldest kid, uh, my wife was pregnant, and we're you know, kind of going through the process, and one day she comes to me, and she's like, oh, I'm feeling really uncomfortable. I've been like on the bathroom more lately. I don't know. I feel like you know, pregnancy's weird. Your body's all kinds of weird things, right? Uh, I mean, not that I know, but... So and she's like, I, I feel really like gassy or whatever. And I'm like, oh, okay. Not sure why you're telling me that. Okay, great. She comes to me the next day, and she says, no, that gassy thing's like not going away. It's really weird. She comes to me the next day, and she goes, you know what? I think I figured it out. I thought I was having gas. I'm actually feeling the baby kick. And we're like, what? Oh, that's so cool. And you know, then you start paying attention to it. And you do all the parenting things. It's the first parenting moment, right? Well, here's the thing. She had a being living inside of her. And she could learn to hear from that being by paying attention to herself. At first glance, she thought, oh, I'm just having gas. I think this is just me because of what I'm experiencing in myself. But in time, she began to parse out and realize, hold on, that sensation I'm experiencing in me isn't starting with me. It's actually starting with the thing that lives inside of me. It's very similar when it comes to hearing God. God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of you. And when he talks to you, the way you're going to hear it is things are going to come up through the sensations of your humanity. In a sense, you could interpret them as a spiritual gas, thinking that it's just you having a random thought, an coincidental feeling, an interesting hunch, or whatever other version, an imagination that seems overly active, whatever version. Or you can realize, hold on, my humanity itself is a radar dish that, that the, the being within me is speaking through. It's 
hitting my humanity, and it's reflecting up kind of through who I am. And so the process of learning how to hear God's voice is the process of discovering the things that are happening in your human experience that don't start with you. Naively, almost all of us own every thought, every feeling, and every emotion that flies through our heads. I think a big part of that is because of our, I don't know, post-enlightenment culture or something like that. But I want to give you a news flash. There is an awful lot happening inside of you that does not start with you. Now, naively, we know this is true when it comes to temptation. We know the enemy can insert thoughts in our head can insert motives or desires inside of us. We know that we can pick up stuff from the bad side, but for some reason it can be a little bit harder to realize, well, the same thing can work the other way, and we can be picking stuff up from the, from the Holy Spirit who's inserting thoughts and emotions and whatever. And so the, the, the experience of hearing God is an experience within yourself, almost always. Every once in a while, you know, something will speak to you. Actually, I've never experienced that. Maybe something will speak to you. Nothing's spoken to me. It's possible. And if it happens, go with it. That's great. I'm not trying to downplay that. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is what's normative is for us to hear the Lord inside of us. And what that means is we have to learn to be really good at paying attention to ourselves. Because if you're not paying attention to your own experience, you don't have a chance in picking it up. It's going to go right through and you're not going to notice it. So we got to learn to do is we got to learn to pay attention to ourselves, the thoughts, the feelings, the intuitions, whatever. Okay. So God speaks to us, bubbles up in our humanity, however that happens. How do we know if it's God? How do we know that that random thought, the random feeling, the whatever it is, how do we know that that's him? Here's the tricky part. God is sneaky on us sometimes. See, what God does is he arranges the whole contract sort of inside out of what we would want. The only way you're going to know if that thing is God is if you do something with it. What we would like is this. We would like the voice to come from outside and the confirmation to happen inside. And God does it exactly the opposite. The voice comes from inside, and the confirmation happens outside. That's the way he's designed for this thing to work. And so the only way that you're going to know, is this God, is you actually have to step in and do something with it. And if it goes somewhere, that's what bears witness whether it's God or not. Let me show you an example of that in action that I think is just honestly mind-boggling. In Exodus 3, oh, Moses is having the conversation at the burning bush, all of that. And, and here's a question he raises to God. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go out, uh, go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? You know, kind of some of the stuff Jay was talking about, like Moses is a little bit insecure, like by me, all that stuff. Here's God's response. He said, I will be with you and this will be the sign for you that I've sent you. Moses, here's how you know it's my voice. That's what God is saying. Here's how you know. <clears throat> when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. 
So, so God says, hey, bring the people out of Egypt to this mountain. And Moses goes, how do I know it's me? And God's like, here's the sign. It's going to happen. That's the sign. Now, we can kind of chuckle that. Oh, ha, ha, poor Moses. Think about it. Moses has to go face down a despot and say, hey, world leader, richest guy in the world on this time, most powerful political leader that exists on the planet, I'm going to take all your slaves and we're going to leave. That is what God is asking Moses to do. You'd think he'd give a little more confirmation. He's like, here's the proof. Proof is it's going to work. <laughs> it's crazy, right? I mean, it's crazy. It's even crazier as Moses actually does it, I guess, right? Here's the thing, right? We all want crystal clarity that it's going to be God before we act on it. It's not going to happen. Just like, just kind of like give up that, that that would be beautiful if the world worked that way, but it doesn't. Just like it would be beautiful if I could fly, but I can't. Like, eh, not going to happen. So move on, okay? The only way you'll know is when you go. All right, third. We have permission to practice this. This, I think, is really important. When I was first learning this, I, I used to feel like quite uncomfortable about the prospect of misrepresenting God. Anybody ever felt that way? Like, like oh man, like I want to learn to share, but what if I say something that God's not saying? That's going to be terrible, right? Well, I felt that way until I realized there's actually a story in the scriptures. I, I didn't write it down. I should have. But there's a story in the scriptures that like perfectly uh, captures an example of that happening. So one time... Jesus comes up to Peter, and, and he says, hey, Peter, did you tell the temple officials that, like, I pay the tax, right? And Peter goes, yeah, of course, you know? Like, I don't want to say you're, like, I don't know, breaking the law or whatever. And Jesus goes, Peter, like, you do realize I'm a king, right? Kings don't pay tax. What's Peter done? He's misrepresented Jesus. Oh my goodness, this is that moment. He has, ugh, bad. So you know what Jesus does? His response is awesome. He's like, so you totally just misrepresented me. I'm a king, you forgot. You know, like there could be a bunch of lessons that Peter's about to learn here. But here's what Jesus does. Jesus goes, so here's the deal, Peter. Go catch a fish, and in that fish is gonna be the tax, not only for me, but for you too. So go catch that fish and pay the tax for both of us. So here's Peter's slap on the hand. He gets the tax paid for him. He misrepresents God and his penalty is that he doesn't have to pay the tax. God pays it for him. Oh my goodness. I think we're a lot more worried about that than God is. God's actually well able to manage his reputation. We don't need to help manage it for him, right? What we can do is we can step in and practice and start learning this stuff. You know how Jesus says <clears throat> that one time he heals somebody in the temple, and it's the Sabbath, and the temple leaders are all like, eh, you're bad, why are you doing this? And one of them actually asks an awesome question. He goes, look, dude, it's the Sabbath. Like, you could have waited till tomorrow. Like, just do it tomorrow. Why you gotta be like this? That's what the temple leader says, right? 
And Jesus' response is unbelievable. He, he basically says this. He goes, look, the Father is always working. The Father isn't taking a Sabbath. So if he's not taking a Sabbath, I'm not taking a Sabbath. It's basically Jesus' answer, right? Well, here's the thing. I don't know that I've met hardly any Christian that actually believes the Father is always working. Like, right now, the Father's working in this room. Right now, there's something we could tune into. We may or may not be tuned in right now. The Father is always working. There is not a second of any day, of any month, of any year of your life that there is not something to tune into and partner with God. So I'm pretty sure we're not waiting for him. He's waiting for us. And what that means is when it comes to learning to practice this hearing God thing, we actually have permission to lean in and be proactive with it. We don't have to kind of like wait for stuff to come to us. I remember one of the, the best exercises I ever did in hearing God. This is, this is what I suggest for everyone who wants to learn this stuff. The worst thing you can do if you want to learn how to hear God is make it all about church and prayer. The best thing you can do is integrate it into your life in something that is totally non-religious and completely clear whether it's right or wrong. So here's what I used to do when I was a grad student. I would drive in uh, multiple days a week for a meeting with my advisor. And the way that the building and its parking lots were laid out, there were basically a couple of spaces that were very close to the building and then a whole bunch of them that were further away. And every day that I would drive in for the meeting, I would pray and I would say, God, I want to learn how to hear your voice, so will you tell me, is there a spot close to the building or should I park far from the building? And I would listen and I would do whatever it was that I thought I heard. And every time I walked in, I had a concrete, observable test as to whether I heard God or not. I would get there and be like, huh, I thought there was a space here. There's not. I guess I missed on that one. Or I thought there wouldn't be a space here, but there is. I guess I missed on that one. Or sweet, I thought I heard that right. There'd be times where I'd drive up and I'd be like, huh, I thought that there was no space here. Or I thought there would be a space here, but there's not. And I'd start turning around. And by the time I finished turning around, one of the spaces would have opened. I learned more about how to hear God through that than I have through prayers or seminars or whatever. And so here's what I want to challenge you. Don't just make it about like this. Like God wants to live our whole life with us. So like next time you're watching the footy, who's going to score the next goal, God? Pretty sure he knows. Pretty sure he knows, right? Who's going to close the next sale, God? How should I alter this recipe, God? Which kid's going to have a meltdown next, God? You know, like, whatever version is real for your life, fold it into your life, but do it in a way that is observable and testable. Remember, you'll only know if you have that I'm going to turn and look experience, which has to happen outside of you. So set it up so you know whether you heard God or not. 
The thing about like, I'm gonna sort of, like, trust me, we all wanna do the thing where we fudge it and we're like, well, I probably heard God. That's not gonna help you, right? Set it up so you can know. You have permission to practice. <clears throat> okay, last couple and then we'll do this. We're doing great. Fourth, if you keep things positive, there's rarely any harm in being wrong, <clears throat> right? Prophecy, 1 Corinthians 14 says it's for encouragement, exhortation, and comfort which are generally positive things. Now, once in a while, a positive thing can feel uncomfortable at first. But when you're learning, if you just avoid the uncomfortable positives, there's basically nothing that goes wrong if you miss God. Right? <clears throat> hey, you know, I just feel like the Lord has really put a gift for evangelism on you, and then he loves to use you to, you know, introduce people to Jesus. What if I'm completely wrong there? Does that hurt his life? No. Now, if I say, I think the Lord's telling you to move to the United States, and I'm wrong, that's going to hurt his life. Right? But if, if I'm genuinely just trying to lift him up, genuinely trying to encourage him, and I'm wrong, ultimately, there's not really much of a price tag to it. So you can, like, test safely in this area. And what I would suggest is, I think a lot of us can do a lot more in that space than we are doing. At our church, you can virtually not really walk through the hallways without encounter. Like, like was, there's kind of like, you know, you're trying to get somewhere and you're getting prayed for and prophesied to and I just need to get to the bathroom, bro. <laughs> right? What we want to do, what's most helpful to do for us as leaders is to develop a culture for a safe level of the prophetic where it's expected that it's happening all the time by all the people. All the time by all the people. My sheep hear my voice. It's part of our birthright. And what that means is, it means you know we as leaders get to be culture shapers there. And we can do that. You can shape culture. And as you do, it's like actually really cool. It's really fun to go to church like that. What's God gonna do? What's God gonna say? We don't know. But if you keep it positive, there's basically <clears throat> no harm in being wrong. Last one. Last step. And this one's important. <clears throat> Spiritual gifts do not negate the need for relational uh, credibility. Here's what I mean by that. Here's, here's, this is the parameters for safely operating in spiritual gifts. If you wouldn't say it without a spiritual gift, don't say it with one. <clears throat> if he and I are close friends and he's dating a girl, and I would in the natural say, I don't think you guys are a good fit. I think maybe that's not who God's calling you to be with. If I wouldn't say that just out of relationship, then I should not say, I think the Lord's telling you to break up with her. Where things go wrong is when we think that the spiritual gift means we don't have to have relational credibility. So I don't know you, I don't have permission to speak in your life, but I'm gonna do it anyway out of spiritual authority. That's where things get weird, that's where things get manipulative, that's where things go sideways. But if you just stay within that parameters, if you would not say it without a spiritual gift, don't say it with one. 
then you basically can't go wrong. You're safe, you're good. Does that make sense? A little bit, yes? Okay, good enough. We'll call that good enough. All right, so with all that, let's do it a bit, huh? Can we do that? Yes? So here's what I'm going to do. We're going we're gonna to conclude by doing some activities, some exercises, with the intent of you guys bringing these back to your local church, if you like. <clears throat> They're designed to be reproducible. They're designed to be all that stuff. This is some of the stuff that we do in that training school that I run. So the first one that we're going to do, we'll do as many of these as we have time for. This first one we're going to do is called Biblical Names. And this is a fantastic exercise for people that are just learning to hear God's voice, most especially if they're coming into the place where like maybe they grew up with a faith background, but all of this Holy Spirit stuff is new and different. So here's how it works. In just a little bit, we're going to stand up, walk around the room, and partner with someone you do not know. That's going to get real, everybody. <laughs> you're going to partner with someone you do not know. And here's what you're going to do. You are going to come up to that partner and you're going to ask God two simple questions. God, I would really like you to speak to this person. Will you give me a name of someone in the Bible as a starting point for speaking to them? And then you're just going to listen. And you're going to go with whatever name pops in your head from the Bible. How do you know that it's God? Because it's in the Bible. <laughs> He's already said it once. He can say it again, right? Now, parenthetically, I would rather not hear Judas, <laughs> Jezebel, you know, Cain, any of those, you know, we can, we can avoid those. But, but, but by and large, we'll just go who's in the Bible, right? Okay. So first thing is, okay, Lord, would you share someone in the Bible? And then when you hear something, what we're not going to do, we are not going to ask this question, was that God? We are not asking that question. Did you hear me? What question are we not asking? Was that God? Why are we not asking that question? Because the confirmation is outside of us not inside of us. If you're asking that question, you're trying to confirm it in here, and you ignored this seminar. <laughs> okay? So we're not asking that question. What we're doing is we're saying, I'm going to assume that's God, and I'll find out shortly if it was or not. So God, what about that person do you want to use to speak to this person? And you'll give an opportunity to just kind of like listen, you know, and see if there's something maybe from the biblical story that comes up or the character or, or whatever it is. You'll use that as a starting point for trying to share with the person. You're going to go with what comes and not overthink it because you're not asking the question, was that God? Right? So here's what it's going to look like. Guy in the blue there. You're kind of, you got like three rows empty. Yeah, would you go ahead and stand up? I don't know you at all. What's your name, bro? Matt? Oh, well, that's already a biblical name. <laughs> I'm not going to go with that unless that's what the Lord says. Okay, so Lord, I would really like you to make me not look like an idiot here. So would you demonstrate this right now? Okay, so the name that immediately comes to mind for me is Cornelius. And that's a weird name. Like, I would not think of Cornelius. Now, 
you guys help me remember this because this one's a little bit like less front and center for me. I'm pretty sure Cornelius was the guy that asked Peter to come to him, right? And preach to him. And it was actually the opening of the door to the Gentiles, right? I've, I've got that right. That's, I'm not, I don't want to like misquote the scriptures. So, okay. So Lord, um, thank you for Cornelius. And I'm just asking that you would use something there, God, uh, to speak to Matt and to bless him. Matt, the sense that I get is that like Cornelius, you have a passion for seeing God break through into new groups of people. And that, like, you know, Cornelius was kind of a forerunner, like he cried out to God. Um, and in that crying out to God, what was amazing is like Peter had no clue. Cornelius is actually the hero of the story, right? Peter's just kind of bumbling along as he goes. But I, I see kind of that same passion on you. I see you like, it's almost like you pick a target and you're like, God, I want to see breakthrough there. I want to see that happen. Holy Spirit, would you come and move? I don't care who's not with the program right now. Get them with the program. Lord, would you break through? And in fact, I, I even get the sense that this might kind of almost be like a serial thing in your life. That like there's actually going to be sequences uh, or like groups of people that in time, God, like you, you pray through here and you see breakthrough. And then you pray through in this place and you see breakthrough. And you pray through and you see breakthrough there. Does any of that make any sense to you? Does any of that resonate to you? Okay, now, here's the hard part. And this is what we're going to do next. We're going to ask for some feedback and some input. So if I can do it in front of hundreds of people, you can do it with your partner, okay? So feedback to me, what in that felt like, oh yeah, I feel like that's speaking something. And what in that was like a miss? Did I not get it right? The passion bit is right. Okay. So, so you feel like there's kind of like a, an, an early stage passion, but it's not kind of like in full bloom yet, say. Right? Okay. Like that's really helpful. Thank you. Right? So, so that helps me know the bit that I heard about passion, like that was probably actually the Lord, right? And maybe I added some stuff to it because I'm learning and growing too, you know? So that's what that looks like. Thank you, Matt. You are amazing, okay? So what we're gonna do is we're gonna partner up with someone you don't know and you're gonna go both ways. So listen, share, get feedback, and then the other way, listen, share, get feedback. You guys all good? Okay, go for it. Go, go, go. All right, I'm going to kind of go ahead and pull everybody back here. So go ahead and finish up real quick. Finish up. You don't necessarily have to make your way back to your seat. You can, uh, but we have just another minute or two. So if you want to just stay where you're at, that's fine too. All right, everybody, if you can go ahead and give me your attention real quick here. Huh? It's not possible. Too much? All right. All right, everybody here. Stop praying. Stop loving. Stop being like Jesus and give me your attention. <laughs> All right. Now, I know we have just another minute or two. I would love to do a few more activities but I'm tired and long-winded and I told too many stories, so uh, you'll have to forgive me for that. Um, just real quick though, before we leave, 
Here's, here's what I'd love to do, just kind of through a sense of a show of hands, who in that silly little exercise had a sense of, wow, I think I might have heard God somehow in some of that. Hands up, hold them up, hold them up, hold them up, hold them up, okay? Now, leave them up, leave them up. I want you guys to look around the room, okay? So none of you have ever done this exercise before, and like 80% of the room or so felt that this silly little exercise helped them hear God. That means 80% of the people in your church could probably learn how to hear God by practicing a silly little exercise like this. It is not difficult to take something like this and fold it into a small group. Practice it after a weekend service, you know, or, or whatever version you have. When we take things like this, when we integrate them in, and we do them consistently, we can form a culture of practice and of expectation and of seeing God do stuff. What we do in our church is every small group does stuff like this every single week. And it's just in the culture. It's like, oh, this is kind of weird. It is weird. We love doing it. Do it with us. You know? And we just make it not a big deal. Hey, you tried. I don't really care whether you succeeded or not. You tried. That's awesome. It's fantastic. You know what happens? You're saved three weeks and you're starting to hear God for other people. It's just part of the norm. Now, as I said, I wish we could um, spend a whole lot more time digging into this, doing a bunch more exercises, uh, but we don't have time. I would like to ask one more quick show of hands poll question, and then I'll dismiss to dinner. Who actually had more fun doing this than they anticipated? No, seriously, okay? Now look around the room again. Hold them up. Look around the room again. Holy Spirit ministry is actually fun. In your mind, it will always sound scary. When I described it, you all went, gulp. You want me to do what? But the overwhelming majority of you enjoyed it. Remember, joy is the number two fruit of the spirit. So I think we gotta kinda like move past this thing, which is that like, if we help people do this stuff, we're putting them on the spot and it's gonna be pressure and they're not gonna like it and they're gonna be afraid and they're gonna leave the church. What's more likely is they're gonna be briefly weirded out and then they're going to be like, I don't know what this is, but this is fun. I'm going to come back and do some more. It's really, really a good thing to do. So in conclusion, go practice. Go do stuff like this and take it to your church.